once we uh, get done today with teaching, I, I took in, I think I have about a dozen of them, but I took the handouts from the past three weeks, including today, and stapled some of them. So for those of you who possibly weren't here, uh, whether last week or the week before, this has all three of them, and they all go together. It's kind of like a little series printout, basically. So I just took the same handout, stapled them together. So if you guys want that after we dismiss, you guys can use it. But for now, we're going to be looking at the hand that I gave you just now, which is uh, part three. So kingdom stewardship. Last week, we talked about financial responsibilities and what those responsibilities are in terms of giving, saving, providing for the needs of your household, what providing for those needs actually looks like. And today we're going to be getting into a few more details, but focused on practicalities. So we're going to look at some scriptures initially here. And then once we're done getting through that, we're going to focus on practicalities. And there's some examples of some positive changes that some members of my and house church have made that we're going to be using to give you guys some examples of what certain changes might look like. But to start, we're going to go over part one. So this is going to cover how gender roles relate to the use of time and money. I wanted to cover this because in order to be diligent with your time and your money, you kind of have to know what role you play in a particular household. Now, this is going to, as a starting point, begin with focusing on a household where you have a husband and wife, at least. But for those of you who are uh, single, not married, you live by yourselves, many of the same things still apply. But we're just going to start by focusing on what it looks like in a household where you have a husband and wife. So to start, we're going to look at Genesis. I'm going to read this first point, which is that men specifically grow and are protected from sin through laborious work. A lot of people don't stay mindful of this, so I want to explain why that is in Genesis. So go to chapter 2 of Genesis Verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man, this is Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now notice this is before Eve was created. Eve was not made yet. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The focus is on verse 15. God took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, if you look at the meanings of those words, to tend basically means to cultivate and care for, and to keep means to guard or protect from harm. So in the household, if you will, if we use those words that God placed Adam in, his job was to cultivate and protect. That was the work that was given to him. Now you go to chapter 3, Adam and Eve's sin. You have the fall of man that takes place. And then God has to curse the ground. And then he speaks something to Adam, which we're going to look at. So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17 says, then Adam, or then to Adam, God said, 
Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Seems kind of a bummer at first, but I'm going to explain why there's a positive nature to what God says here. So, remember we're talking about how men specifically grow and are protected from, from sin through laborious work. Or in other words, working in the sweat of your face or the sweat of your brow is how KJV reads. Start with the first phrase, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, when something is for your sake, generally that term means it's for your benefit. In other words, this needs to happen for you, right? And then he explains why. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The ground will bring forth thorns and thistles. You shall eat of it, and then a sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. When you look at the result of sin in the earth, it's not just literal thorns and thistles growing out of the ground. It's the fact that, like in the parable of the sower, thorns and thistles grow in people's hearts, too. It's not just physical ground. It's the ground of your, the soil of your heart as well. I would, for this reason, consider Mark chapter 4, or the parable of the sower passage, to be a direct cross-reference to this. So when God says to Adam, it is for your sake that the ground is cursed and that you have to work in the sweat of your face to eat bread. He's also saying you have to work in the sweat of your face to fend off the thorns and thistles that will grow in your heart as well. You can see examples of this in the Old Testament, and that's where 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 and 2 comes in. So we will turn there. It's for its benefit because the fact that the ground brings forth thorns requires him to work harder. And that hard work is how he fends off the thorns and thistles that will grow or the sin that will grow in his life, basically. Yeah. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> the other, yeah. the other comment I want to make, or question really, is it, you know, in 19, uh, till your ground, uh, for out of it were take, you were taken, and dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I wonder if that was God's first inference to death, because his intent was for Adam and Eve to live forever, was it mm -hmm. not? Mm-hmm, yep, dust you are, to dust you shall return. Yep. It's interesting how it all works because there's sin, fallenness in the creation. And God says Adam would benefit from the work he would have to put into creation from that point forward. Now, when you read 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 2, this is a perfect example of exactly what God means, practically speaking, by 
how cursed is the ground for man's sake. Like it's really important that men stay busy with good work and honest labor because of what happens if they don't. They get thorns and thistles in their heart, right? So that's what this is about. So chapter 11, verse 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David, who's the king at the time, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. So what's happening here? Yeah. David's supposed to be working, right? He's supposed to be going to battle. But he sends his army off, and he stays at Jerusalem in his palace, basically. Then verse 2. The thorns and thistles grow, because David isn't working at fending him off, right? So it says, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Now, this is interesting. Why is he arising from his bed in the evening? <laughs> yeah, right. And he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. Someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers, took her. She came to him and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Rest of the story. Long story short, David, to hide the pregnancy, tries to get Uriah to come home to sleep with his wife. He doesn't do it because he's rightly so busy with the work he's supposed to be doing. He goes back to battle. David posts him on the front lines to get him killed. So now David's guilty of both adultery and murder. Got himself in a very bad situation. All because he didn't go to battle when he was supposed to. Uriah, on the contrary, was so honorably involved in what he was supposed to be doing that he could not be distracted. He was so focused and is considered a very noble person as a result of his focus. David, on the other hand, lost focus because of his failure to work, and that's what got him into sin. There are, uh, There is a proverb, actually a few proverbs, that talk about the danger of idleness. And there's also a passage in Ezekiel chapter 16 talking about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and says that abundance of idleness was one of the primary reasons or sources for the sin that you see in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a rampant sexual immorality. Started with fullness of food and abundance of idleness, is what it says. So they have everything they want, just like David did, and he decided to stop working. This gives us a second thing, which is that work is not just so that you can get what you need. Because once you get what you need, the point is to keep working because of what work does for you. Right? Not just so that you can lay back and relax and be idle because now you have everything that you need. That's where David failed. It's where Sodom and Gomorrah failed. And it all starts in Genesis. God's point is that the ground brings forth thorns and thistles to give men the opportunity to work. And their work is for their own good, 
to keep sin from growing in their lives. That's the point. Men have to work. Now, the bullet point under this in regards to a household, speaking of a husband, a husband's work will then be the primary source of income for the family. This is typically the way that you'll see it pan out. Because men need to be working. Then you get to number two here. Question? But it's, oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> um, David in 2 Samuel 11 he didn't like not working wasn't causing him to not to sin it more left him susceptible to temptation right that's what we mean yeah yeah when you're not occupied with honest labor then you're more vulnerable essentially yeah thorns and thistles grow they grow out of the idleness right It's very valid. Idle mind is the devil's playground. Playground, yeah. Very valid. All right. Number two here. So now we're going to talk about women. Women grow and are protected from sin through the work of childbearing and management of the home. This is particularly for women who, of course, are in the situation to be able to marry and have children. It's a different conversation when you deal with those who are single or widows, uh, older women, in that sense. But we will look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. First, and this also goes back to Genesis, interestingly enough. First Timothy First Timothy chapter two. He talks about order of authority between men and women in this passage. Then you get to verse 14. Well, you can actually start in 13. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, like we read in Genesis 2. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So now he's talking about deception, right? Then he says, verse 15, Nevertheless, she, referring to the woman, will be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So he's talking about a woman, or the woman, meaning Eve, being deceived, and then talks about her being saved. Now, of course, this doesn't mean saved as in saved from sin and received into the kingdom, as in being born again, because you don't get saved by having a baby, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's not literally what it's talking about. The saved it's talking about is being saved from what was just discussed in the previous verse, which is being deceived. That's what he's talking about. So he says, if you want a woman to be saved from deception, then her faithfulness to bear children and be in unity with her husband is how she's going to be saved from that deception. So you have relationship with her husband that's in the right place, and then faithfulness to bear children and manage the home. Later in 1 Timothy, Paul adds to that, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Now he's talking about younger women that are not uh, managing a home. Verse 13 says, besides they learn to be idle. There's idleness again, right? 
wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the young, younger, so widows is italicized. He's just talking about younger women. I desire that the younger marry, bear children, manage the home. Then he says, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So he says to these younger women, hey, you should get married, bear children, manage the home. And he says that part of the purpose of this is to remove opportunity for the devil and also to keep you from turning aside after the devil. So just like with men, you have a failure to work. There's a vulnerability to Satan and to sin. And then with women, a similar thing is stated, except now it's about being saved from deception and the sin of it. And part of how a woman fends that off is faithfulness in the home, management of the home, and childbearing. General principle here. Now, if you look at the bullet point uh, where I have some more details written out, it says a wife's work in the home should be to assign and direct the resources brought in by the husband. We'll look at uh, Proverbs about that in a moment. The husband should help with this where appropriate, but he should be able to trust that his wife is using the money he brings in exactly the way it should be used. She should also find secondary ways to bring income alongside caring for her children. So this gets into some more practicalities. We'll look at Proverbs 31 next. So let's turn there. Before we read that, I'll just read the uh, paragraph I have written under it with the asterisk. Pull out Proverbs 31 here, okay. Throughout the Old and New Testament, men are praised for faithful work outside the home to provide resources for the household. While women are praised for faithful work inside the home, utilizing available resources to meet the needs of the household. Women should help to utilize and add gain to what is brought in by the husband. Proverbs 31.11 discusses that. We'll look at that in a moment. Then, of course, I have written here also that single women will have to earn money and steward it by themselves. So, of course, when we're discussing this, there are exceptions where a person is single or widowed, what have you. Or barren, yeah, that too. In which case, of course, you have to make exceptions. And there's more about that in 1 Timothy 5 when it comes to widows and whatnot, if you'd like to look at that. But for now, we're looking at Proverbs 31. So, start in verse 11. He's talking about a virtuous wife that her worth is far above rubies. Then at the top of verse 11, he says, the heart of her husband, safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. So when I have written here earlier that the husband, uh, let's see, yeah, the husband should help with this where appropriate, but he, he, the husband, should be able to trust that his wife is using the money he brings in exactly the way it should be used. That's why verse 11 says he will have no lack of gain. So there is a sense in which a wife adds gain to the household and that the husband trusts her to do that. So we're going to talk about practicalities of what that looks like momentarily. If you keep reading. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. So she has work as well. 
within the context of the household. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Okay. She is. Yeah, she is a businesswoman. Considers a field and buys it. Now, where she's, where she's getting the money to consider and buy this field is where the husband comes in. He has his work. He brings in resources. He trusts her to make sure there's no lack of gain in her role within the household. And then she takes those resources, considers a field, buys it, and with the profits, plants a vineyard. So she's doing her own work while she's taking care of her children to provide food for the household while the husband is out doing his work. This is interesting because in biblical examples uh, where you see marriages, Proverbs 31 be wanting Proverbs 31 being one of those main examples, the wife is just as busy with her own work within the household to help add income uh, as is the husband busy with his work outside the household. And because Proverbs 31 is written as a general description of a virtuous wife, this is not just a specific unique woman. This is an example that's laid out for married women everywhere. So keep that in mind. Long story short, husbands and wives should work together. Husbands for faithful work outside the home, wives for faithful work inside the home, and wives should add gain to the household while the husband does his work. Okay, so now we get into part two. So this is where we get into some more practicalities. So point number three, a few ideas for how households can use available resources to add gain. This is where wives especially will have to get a little bit more creative. But these are just a, a few things that you can do. You can invest in commodities that will increase in value over time. You can turn hobbies or skills into income, even if it's small. Uh, and I mentioned Allie and I here because one of the things that we do is with her painting and my blacksmithing hobby, that's something that we do to just supplement her income. You know? um, Allie especially has been putting a lot of work into getting her uh, painting small business going. And that's been really cool to watch and it's been really helpful. So that's something you can do. If you have a skill, find a way to make money from it. Right? Then you have flip, which is to buy and resell items to add income. This is something that um, people that we know whether it's furniture or uh, Allie did this with a few baby items. She was buying high chairs and stuff and just found things really cheap, like half of what they're worth, and just resold them. So that's another idea, something that you can do. Now, that's inside the home. Now, number four here. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about how better planning Scheduling, use of time and money, or better money skills can be utilized for greater productivity. So, again, these are examples that come from a few members of our house church that we spoke with about these topics. They started making progress, and I had them send me some messages about what they were doing, and so I just put them in quotes here. Uh, so this is something that Jasmine said. 
In planning my rest and sleep, I find there is time to do all my appointed tasks. And because the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, that's Ecclesiastes 5.12, I sleep less hours yet remain rested. So when it comes to rest, if you limit it to what it should be rather than just letting yourself rest and sleep as much as you want, you have more time for things that are important. And because you're faithful to your labor, your rest is sweeter and more refreshing so even though you're sleeping less or resting less, you're actually more rested, period, because you're faithful to your labor. Now, Anna, she talked about something as well. She says, changing my focus to spending only what I planned and moving all the rest to savings rather than only saving what I planned to save and spending the rest, rest, this has helped me save a lot more. Also, seeking to relieve anxiety and stress by going to Jesus and casting those cares back to him, praying or doing something healthy rather than impulse spending or eating, of course, to address anxiety and stress, is making a huge difference in my ability to save money. So even things like relieving anxiety and stress with prayer keeps you from the unhealthy alternatives that cause you to spend more money that you don't need to spend. Uh, Taylor has an example here too. She says, by understanding the ways the word says we should use our time, I've been able to prioritize my schedule so that I have more time for renewing my mind. So she has, she's found more time to read her Bible, basically. I also have a better understanding of the purpose of work. In other words, financial gain equals opportunities to steward my finances correctly. So I'm able to focus on doing my job well during the time allotted for working. Paying attention to my finances so that I could faithfully steward them has helped me to find several places where I was wasting money because I just wasn't paying attention, and my savings has grown a lot in the few months that I've been diligent about tracking it. Real practical. Franklin says that he made a calendar, made a spending chart. He says, now I have more money, know what I'm spending it on, feel stable financially, schedule is more stable, and my relationships are benefiting as a result. So there's more time for other people, more time to serve people, more time to build quality relationships because of working on his schedule and how he uses money and his time. So just be encouraged from those things. You know, there's, there's people in this community that are taking action on it, and it's causing good fruit. So you guys should do the same. Okay, so part three. Now, these are just really, really practical things about how to be better stewards of household provisions regarding your time, leftover money, even your food, and then to items in your home. So when it comes to free time, point number five, free time can be used for things you enjoy in creation, but free time must be strictly enjoyed. Otherwise it is wasted. That's the main point. The explanation is if you have free time and have things you want to do, plan to do these things in a determined order and plan exactly how much time you will do these things for. That would be being strict about it. If you aren't strict with the use of your free time, much will fall to waste. And Ali and I say this to each other sometimes, have strict joy. Strict joy. Yep. Just means if you're going to have fun with something, you want to do something, you want to do whatever it is, you know, you want to clean something you haven't cleaned in a while. If you happen to enjoy doing that, I don't, but <laughs> some people do. You want to fix something, whatever, just make sure that you plan how much time you're going to put into these things, and that makes your enjoyment stricter so that you don't waste time. Did you have a... 
You enjoy? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's just a practical, exa practical example there. Number six, now you have good stewardship, of, good stewardship of extra or leftover money. Conserve or reassign leftover money. Don't spend it just because you have it. This is wasteful. So that could mean you save more. That could mean you put more money into something else. Examples, give more, save more, invest more, etc. Giving more, especially, is a great idea. Don't just spend money just because you have it. Now when it comes to food, number seven. Budget or plan. This has been so helpful in my household. Allie's been so good at this. Budget and plan to buy once per week the groceries needed to prepare the meals planned for that week. So plan your meals. This will make sure all food that's purchased is utilized. Failing to meal plan and stocking up for longer periods of time causes you to spend more than you need to and can cause food to spoil or be forgotten, leading to waste. Your fridge should be nearly empty at the end of each week. This has been really cool, but also kind of scary at the same time. <laughs> because we've been using everything we're buying because of meal planning throughout the week for what we eat. And then it gets to the end of the week and there's like nothing in the fridge other than like condiments and stuff. right? And then we realize we got to go to the grocery store. So we do it typically the next day. And Allie will plan what she's going to make for that week. We stock up in the fridge. Same thing happens. It gets all used up. Nothing goes to waste. So that's just a... One way that you can go about stewarding your food and the money you use for your food effectively. More examples here. Make meals that will leave leftovers that can be eaten again for other meals on later days in the week. So you can use leftovers to have meals as well. Mm -hmm. Prepare snacks that you can bring on the go so that you're not always stopping for food and unnecessarily spending more money. So something that Ali likes to make is just called protein balls, which is basically peanut butter and flax seeds and like a little bit of maple syrup and healthy ingredients. Chocolate chips, too. And she mixes it in a bowl, rolls it up, puts it in the fridge, and it's something that's healthy, good, good calorie count, and we can just take it with us. And that keeps you from stopping for fast food, stopping at the gas station, where everything is way too expensive. You know, It's just a better way to... Uh, have snacks. Last one here. Find creative ways to use what you already have in your fridge or pantry and don't always go out and buy more ingredients when you aren't using what you already have. This is a good thing too. We just did this yesterday with uh, we had like the bottom of a bag of frozen green beans, rice, and ground turkey. And we just Ali texted me a list and said, oh, can you come up with something to use with these ingredients we have left over? We ended up making some like Korean spice mix and stir fried it with the ground turkey, made the green beans, poured the ground turkey with the sauce over the rice, and it was awesome. It was very good. So you just use what you have and find creative ways to use it, and that'll help keep you from spending more money that you don't need to spend. All right, now when it comes to stewardship of items in the home, number eight. Sell items in the home before you buy more. If you want to buy something for the home, like furniture, decor, clothing, etc., make money by selling something you don't need first. Don't waste money on non-essential things. Rather, sell already possessed non-essentials and use the money to buy something new. So replace. Don't spend more money. Rather, use what you already have. Similar thing with food. 
this has just been a good practice that we've employed in our household as well. If Allie wants to buy something, whether it's a piece, piece of clothing, a, I don't know, some piece of furniture or whatever, she'll sell something first and then use that money. So that way we're not having to dip into um, our normal income to buy those things. Okay, those are practicalities. And you can come up with your own ideas if you think of more things. Hopefully that just sparks more ideas in you guys. Besides that, that is the substance of what I want to talk about. Are there any questions or comments about any of it? Yes. Um, can, as a community, can we kind of list places that we can sell things? Like, can we just have a short discussion on, like, if I have a lot of electronics or, mm -hmm. like, this last number, number eight, mm -hmm. where are people successfully selling things? It's an idea. Can we just, like, for the next 60 seconds, have some ideas thrown out there so I can put it in my to-do list to research it this week? Yeah. That's the one place? Okay. Yeah. For Facebook electronics? Yeah, there's everything on Facebook Marketplace, yeah. Another thing, there's a Facebook group called Buy Nothing, which is just people that give away free stuff. Yeah, you don't sell. You just go and pick up people's things that they don't want. And there's a ton of things that Allie has gotten for the house that have been free, that she didn't have to buy, and that have been valuable, that, that we've used in our household. That too, yep. Yeah, yep. yep. Buy Nothing. Facebook. Yeah, I think it's just, I don't think it's Facebook Marketplace. It's just Facebook, right? Facebook group. Yeah, it's called Buy Nothing. It's really cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Any more questions, comments, about anything? Yeah. What does the word say about retirement? <laughs> uh, well, let's find out. <laughs> naked came you into this world, naked shall you return. Yes. So, it, oh man, I got to pull up a note for this I was working on the other day. So, interesting about that on Laura's comment there. Scripture does say that a righteous man lays up for his children and his children's children inheritance. What the word says is wrong is when you store up money just because and then don't do anything with it. And then Ecclesiastes, Solomon calls that foolishness because then it goes to a person who you don't know and you don't know what they're going to do with it. And it says that's a vanity under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. So the point is, when it comes to savings like retirement or what have you, the point is that you allot that money to a specific and valuable purpose rather than just storing it up just because you want to. And Jesus specifically rebuked that and called a man a fool who said with a barn or a silo full of grain, he said, my silo is not big enough, so I'll tear it down and build a bigger one and fill that one up, and then I'll sit in my lawn chair and look at it. And then uh, Jesus in the parable says, you fool, uh, you do not know that tonight your life would be required of you. So whose will it be what you have stored up after you are gone? So then he dies that night, that guy. 
And that's called foolishness. So point being, storing up just to store up is considered foolishness. But storing up for a purpose, biblically backed, is wise. And there's plenty of scriptures that, that discuss that. Um, I guess I don't need to pull up that note because I kind of explained it. But yeah, does that make sense? What scripture? Oh, the parable? Um, where he says, you fool, you do not know that tonight your life would be required of you. That is Luke chapter 12. Parable of the rich fool. Starting in verse 13. We should just read it just for fun. The one from the crowd said to him, teacher, my br- tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> yeah, that discussion has been had by many a family. huh? <laughs> but he said to them, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. He spoke a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He did it for himself. Yeah. So there is no return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, okay, so I, okay, I should actually pull this up just because I think it will help to clarify here. Yes. Yeah, the key the key word there is purpose. Mhm. The thing though is the idea of being done working that is not supported in scripture. Um of course there's a certain sense in which you have to relax your work at a certain age, you know, you don't have the same energy necessarily as you did when you were a lot younger. But what you see in scripture you, they at least in as far as the men are concerned they worked until they died whatever their work was you know um, Moses led Israel to his last breath and didn't stop David uh, King David actually they had to force him he learned his lesson from the whole Bathsheba incident because he was so faithful to go to battle after that, that they had to forcibly take him off the battlefield because he almost got killed by a, a Philistine giant, actually. And only reason he was going to get killed was because he was too old and he was moving too slow. 
but he's still swinging. And so then they're like, dude, like, we can't let you come to battle anymore and because he was just too old. But he kept going, even when he was slow. So those are just a couple examples, but there isn't really a concept in Scripture, as, at least as far as men are concerned, for just being done with working at a certain age. Unless you're talking about stopping a certain career and then moving on to a different work. Like some people have done this where, like, at a certain retirement age, they'll want to focus on um, using the finances they stored up to focus on work for, you know, certain ministry or things like that. You know, this, as long as you're, you can go from one work to another, but as long as you're not quitting and just, you know, moving to a resort, you know, like that's, yeah. A um, couple of things. I think part of that is that we, you know, we live in a culture where they don't want you working after, I mean, there's forced retirement in a lot of uh, jobs. Mm. Um, and so they have to retire and <clears throat> they, um, I suppose there's other work that they could do at that point, but there is generally a concept of retirement in our, in our culture. Mm. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk, ask you was, um, you know, there's scripture that talks about caring for widows and orphans. What does that look like it, the way that our society is structured? the way our society is structured. Well, I can tell you, yeah, I, could, I can tell you how scripture writes it for how a church cares for its own widows and orphans. And in 1 Timothy 5 talks about it. You also see it in <laughs> Acts, Acts chapter 6 is where it first shows up. But widows were, are, were commanded when it comes to widows in the church to provide for them. And in the biblical culture, widows didn't have a way to provide for themselves. And so what Paul told us to do is that the church is in charge of providing for them financially, but these widows are in charge of occupying themselves in the work of serving the church. So they didn't just stay at home and do nothing and then get paid for it. What they actually did was it says they were put in charge of lodging strangers, washing the saints' feet, following diligently every good work. They would be involved in serving the church, and that was their work while the church provided for them financially. So in a typical community in today's day and age, if you have an older woman lives by herself, she doesn't really have the, the able-bodiedness, if you will, to do some kind of her own work, then the church should provide for her financially and then give her tasks within the church that she can attend to to uh, keep her faithfully serving in that sense. And where are we doing things correctly in the church, and I think some are, mm -hmm. is that, you know, those first verses that we talked about what women should be doing is they gain the knowledge on how to manage the finances in their households and, mm -hmm. and prepare meals and do all those things. They should be passing that wisdom on to young women within the church. Absolutely. Yeah, older women are commanded to teach younger women in Scripture, too. That was one of the good works that older women and widows were charged with doing was, hey, teach younger ladies how to do what you did when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I comment? Yeah, go for it. Uh, um, you might have to remind me of this scripture, but there's one scripture is talking about widows, and it says if they have a certain type of widow, if they have children, let the children first show piety at home, mm -hmm. and like the children honoring their parents and caring for them. And my grandma was being a good example of doing this, um, like the past like couple months and probably almost a half a year, but she was just caring for her her mom as she was almost like getting an old age, almost passing on. 
So she was just being there for her because that's her mother. So she was being an example of that. So it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the whole church needed to care for her because there were children who were able to do that. Yep. Yeah, that's Paul's first first instruction when it came to widows was like, hey, tell the ladies' kids to help her out first, <laughs> you know, um, and then have the church help out in addition to that. So, yeah, the children honor your father and mother, Paul is saying in that scripture, also is the honor of like financially supporting them when they need it, you know. So, yeah, great comment there, Jasmine. Good thing to keep in mind. I did want to, so I found this this note. Um, I did want to read it anyway. So this comes from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 17 through 19, which says, Solomon speaking, Therefore I hated life. Amen. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. So then what I have written for this in my own study was, a vain and foolish person will despair of life and their own labor if they store up wealth for no other purpose than their own enjoyment. Because in the end, they will realize that their wealth must be given to someone else and it will have no more fruit for them. But a diligent and wise person will use every penny of their resources for things that will bring forth fruit for eternity. He should determine that no dollar he gains will be laid up for a fool, but that every dollar will be utilized for the good of the kingdom of God and the joy of his household. In other words, save money for good works and give money only to those who will use it wisely. Otherwise, you'll end up like Solomon and hate life and hate your work, <laughs> which I don't want that to happen to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that was Ecclesiastes 2, verses 17 through 19. Yeah. Yeah. Additional questions, comments? Yeah. Just one other comment is, um, and I've seen it a lot, is that the more wealth sometimes that people get, the the less they trust in God mm-hmm. and they trust in that wealth and that wealth is what they lose sleep over, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Psalms, I think it's 6210, I believe, says if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So it doesn't say don't let riches increase. It says if they increase. Words, it's okay that it increases. So make sure you don't set your heart on it. That's the point. Don't trust in uncertain riches, First Timothy 6 also says. Yeah. Final comments, questions? Okay. So uh, we'll wrap up. Um, we got done a little bit early today, but that's good. Uh, I would encourage you guys as a challenge, if you haven't already put work into this, please take some time, work on how you use your time, your scheduling, your planning, what you, what you do with your money. The reason why we went through this series the past three weeks was to help encourage you all to be more uh, faithful stewards in these areas. Um, after I dismiss here, like I said earlier, if you want the handout that has the, the uh, outlines from the past three weeks stapled together, just come up here and I'll give you one. Um, and we will do the offering next. 
So if you guys want to give this morning, you can put your hand up and Laura will get you an envelope. Please put, keep your hand up until you get one. Otherwise, you can use the link that is right there on the screen if you want to give online. Uh, back here, an envelope. For Ginger, she's looking for an envelope. Yeah. Thank you guys for your generosity. Also, as an update for this community, so you guys have heard because we've shared about it the past couple weeks or so that we are planning on moving out of this space on Sundays sooner than we initially thought. And we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. We're just going to keep meeting here, you know, indefinitely until we know exactly how it's going to pan out. Um, but even though that announcement has been made, we still have rent to pay. We still have to pay for the lease in order to use this space. And as just for your guys' own awareness, we were barely able to pay the rent for the month of May, I guess it will be. So we're lower than we ever have been in terms of uh, finances here, which I'm not necessarily surprised by because if the timing of us moving out of the space is right, then I guess it kind of makes sense that finances are lower, but we do still have to pay for it while we're still in here, right? We can't just stop paying for it. Um, and so if, if there's any burden on your heart to just help with that, um, then just so you guys know, that's the, the standings as of now. Um, but we trust God. We know it's going to work out. But just want to make you guys aware of that. So that being said, I'll just say a closing prayer here. And then we'll dismiss after that. So, Father, thanks for your word and the wisdom of it. And for the opportunity to learn about practicalities too. Help us.